Well, before we get started, uh, at part two of April 9th, uh, I've got this one. This is music, as I promised uh, yesterday or the last show, uh, from 1911. This is the Herman Finch Victor Orchestra, RCA Victor, of course, and uh, the title of the piece is In the Shadows, a skipping rope dance. Uh, let's just enjoy this a moment. Yeah, it's just a bouncier time, a, a sprightlier set kind of music happening there. Um, it's just like being transported in a time machine to me. Uh, but as promised, we have now Capsule Looks at every team in the American League, starting with our own beloved uh, Nationals. McAleer will present, but few new faces. With the exception of John Henry at first base, Jim McAleer will present the same team on opening day against the Boston Red Sox that he finished the last season with. 
There will be one great advantage, however. When the team started the last season, it was far from in good condition, and this proved a serious handicap, being responsible for a poor start in the race. This spring, however, there are reasons for believing that the Nationals are fit to go the route, and predictions are made that the team will get a good start in the race. Just who will pitch the opener has not yet been definitely decided, but since Walter Johnson has gone to his home, it seems almost certain that the honor will fall on Dolly Gray, who in the spring practice games has shown most brilliant form. If it is not Gray, it will likely be Walker, though the left-hander is sure to be given the preference. Though the outfield last season was hardly up to the standard, it is believed that Milan, Kessler, and Lelevelt will show improvement this year. Should either of them fail, McAleer will most likely give Conway a trial, for that youngster has been swinging on the ball with a vengeance and stands a chance to make good. But it is hoped that the three seasoned players who have been assigned to these positions will hold their own there, in which event the team's chances for a good position in the race will be better than ever, for there is no fault to be found with the infield. In Henry, Cunningham, McBride, and Elberfield, McAleer has a quartet that can be depended upon. Henry, if he continues to hit as he has in the South, be a sensation while Cunningham, who has rounded into form, is sure to keep up the pace he set last season. The lineup for the opening game will be Henry, first base, Cunningham, second, McBride, shortstop, Elberfield, third, Lelevelt, left field, Milan, center, Jessler, right, street catcher, Gray, or Walker, pitcher. Max team is confident of another pennant. Out of Philadelphia, April 8th, Connie Mack's champion athletics will enter upon the coming season with more confidence than any team ever experienced, and they feel that while they have had a hard battle before them, they will repeat last year's victory. Hogan probably will retain his position in left field on account of his hitting, but in case he falls down, Mack has strunk and Hartzell to fall back upon. The field will remain the same as last year, while the pitching department will be augmented by the addition of Lefty Russell, the $12,000 Oriole twirler who is liked by Connie Mack. The latter has so many promising pitchers this year that he hardly knows whom to let go, and he will think carefully before making a move. It is a wonderfully well-balanced team with which Mac will start into the campaign. It has hitting strength, speed, and plenty of experience. And unless the unexpected happens and some of the stars fall down badly, there is no way to figure out how the athletics can lose out. They may have a hard fight on their hand because the other teams appear stronger, but even this should not prove enough to stop Mac's team. What is more... Mac is well fortified in the event of any fall downs. He has players for nearly every position sitting on the bench who can jump in and keep the team going for a while at least. So there is really nothing to fear, even though Dame Fortune should not always smile on the champions. He has numerous infielders that he can call on in a pinch and several outfielders to use in case of emergency. Hogan is not be played regularly. Probable lineup for the opening game will be Hogan, 
left field, Lord center field, Collins second base, Baker third base, Davis first base, Murphy right field, Barry shortstop, Thomas catcher, and Coombs or Bender pitcher. Brown's ambition is to beat out Nationals, St. Louis, Missouri. Sanguine supporters of the Browns have assigned their pets to the cyclone cellar of Ban Johnson's National Pastiming Plant. They allow that, according to Hoyle, the Browns should run less because this year's team is merely an experiment. However, they are going to stand by with field glasses with optimistic lenses and hope and wish and pray that the Browns climb a few rungs higher in the pennant ladder. Manager Wallace, an experiment, is tearing down and building up. He will face the barrier in the coming American League race with just three holdovers. He has tied the rattling boiler to the vets. Himself, Newman and Hoffman, or Schweitzer, will be the trio in this year's inaugural who performed last season. All the others are newcomers. That's why this year's Browns are pretty much an experiment from start to finish. Withal, Wallace has picked up a few likely-looking men. J. Justin Clark, the former Cleveland catcher, should prove a tower of strength. Nig led the Brownies in hitting in the spring series with the Cardinals. On top of that, he's aggressive and a good growing catcher. Austin and Laporte seem an improvement on Hartzell and Truesdale. Williams, a walloping fly chaser, has it on stone 40 ways. Murray promises to be a pretty nifty youngster. But Wallace's added strength lies chiefly in his pitchers. George is a sure winner. So is Hamilton, both southpaws. Then there's Lake and old Jack Powell to help out. Another possibility is Chris. The angular one has speed to burn and shows symptoms of getting control. The one ambition of the fans is to beat out Washington, and the report that Walter Johnson has left the team was hailed with delight here, for with their star pitcher out of the lineup, there's a chance for the Browns to get out of last place, it is figured. Naps hope to get good start in race. Cleveland, Ohio. April 8th. The Napoleons are a fourth position certainty, a third position probability, and a second place possibility. That's how manager McGuire of the Cleveland team has it doped out. He admits that his hopefuls have practically no chance to beat out the world's champions in the struggle for the 1911 American League flag. He thinks that the Naps will have no trouble beating out St. Louis Washington, Chicago, and Boston. He says the Naps will probably finish ahead of New York and may possibly top Detroit at the finish. McGuire has practically decided upon the lineup for the opening game at St. Louis Wednesday, April 12th. Graney appears to have the left garden patch sewed up and will bat first. Turner will play third base and bat next. Jackson has his job of center fielder clinched and will follow Terry. Then comes the old reliable Napoleon Lajouet in cleanup position. Larry will be at his old stomping ground at second. 
Easterly has evidently proved to manager McGuire's satisfaction that he is an outfielder of class, for Jim has him slated for the right garden in fifth place in the batting list. Stovall will be back on the job at the initial sack and will bat after the former nap catcher. Olsen will be introduced to American League fans at short and will follow Stovall to the plate. Grover Land will catch as he is the Naps' most dependable backstop and is picked to do two-thirds of the heavy work during the season. Willie Mitchell will probably be on the mound. Willie was eminently successful against the Browns last season. Naturally, it is figured that the Naps will get a good start in the race, for if they had to choose, they could find nothing easier than the Browns to battle against on last year's form. All that the Cleveland bunch needs is a start. It is agreed argued rather, when they will get a good lead in the race and be hard to catch at the finish. Sox team hope to trim Tigers in opener out of Chicago. The White Sox will face the barrier next Wednesday afternoon in Detroit in the best condition they have been at the start of the season for years. Manager Duffy and every one of his men feel that they have a good chance to be in the race from the start off this season because every member of the team is playing grand ball and feeling all kinds of confidence in his ability to make good. The long California training trips the Sox have had for the past three years previous to this been a handicap rather than a help for them at the start of the season. The grand weather and the stiff practice in the hot sun of Texas has boiled the athletes down to the keenness of a racehorse this year, and every Sox has his eye on the ball and is running the bases like a real ball player. The veteran outfield that Duffy has selected in Doherty, Callahan, and Mellentire in hitting the ball with, is hitting the ball with a vengeance already. And if they keep up the pace, the Sox are sure of a front-rank place in the race. The great pitching staff is in the pink condition, and every pitcher on the staff is ready to go the full route without flinching at all. Catcher Billy Sullivan is as good as he ever was in his life and will take the heavy end of the work from the beginning this year. Either Ed Walsh or Doe White will draw the honor of pitching the first game against the Tigers, and Sullivan will wear the mask. Texas Jones has won his Spurs' as first baseman, and he will hold down the only place on the infield that has been in doubt from the very start of the training trip. Batting order of the first game will be McConnell second base, Lord third base, Zelder shortstop, Doherty left field, Callahan center field, McIntyre right field, Jones first base, Sullivan catcher, Walsh or White pitcher. Red Sox sure to be contenders for flag. Boston Mass, here is manager Patsy Donovan's lineup for the opening game of the American League season at Washington. Gardner second, Hooper right, Speaker center, Lewis left, Wagner short, Williams first, Engel third, Madden catcher, Wood or Chicote pitcher. The Red Sox regulars are preparing to break camp in preparation for the big show at Washington April 12th. Manager Donovan today announced definitely 
that he will send the regulars direct from Chicago April 11th to the capital city, while he and Treasurer McGreen, together with the cults, will hustle to Boston to give Harvard a match and also to confer with President John I. Taylor regarding the disposition of some of the players. The regulars now with the Colts squad will be transferred to the regular squad at Chicago and sent to Washington. Engel, who will play Eagle, Engel, Engel, who will play third, Carger, Collins, Arellanis, and Pape. Jarvin and Mahoney now with the regulars will join the Colts for the Harvard game. Speaker was hustled on to the hub from St. Joseph by manager Donovan to have his pipes taken care of. The all-star center fielder has been suffering from a rather severe bronchial trouble, and manager Donovan got worried. For the opening season, Williams will cover first base, Bradley's knee still being very stiff. Brad can hardly walk without a cane. Joe Wood, who's been in Kansas City for a few days, will be picked up there tomorrow. Charles Hall, whose residence in California all winter did not do him a bit of physical good, is quite a different-looking chap since the hard training he got coming up there through the Texas temperature. He is reduced from 206 to 185 pounds. We've had a great trip, Manager Donovan said this afternoon. The country was new to many, party, and everyone enjoyed it. Never have I seen good fellowship displayed better than on this occasion. Yankees up against tough game at start. The Highlanders, when they line up against the White Elephants in the opening game of the championship season, April 12th, will probably have as their battery Warhop and Sweeney. Ford's arm is not yet right, and he will be saved until he gets the kinks out of it. There is a slight possibility of Vaughn being delegated to twirl the blow-off game, but only a slight possibility. Farmer Jim was not particularly effective against the Mac men last season. Harry Davis and Danny Murphy frequently coming to time with wallops that drove in enough runs to settle the issue. But Vaughn appears to be in better form this spring than he has been at any time, and his game against the Athletics is expected to prove this. There has naturally been much speculation as to how the team will work under Chase's guidance. It is his first effort as a manager, though he has always been a highly intelligent player under former leaders. In the exhibition games, Chase has done the bulk of the good work for his team, which would indicate that the managerial duties are not interfering with his planes. But the strain of a championship season may have its effect on the boy manager, though his friends believe he will prove a great success. On form, the Highlanders must be figured as being contenders in the race, though time may upset calculations. Manager Chase practically decided on the lineup of the team for the opening battle. His outfielders will be Hemphill, Cree, and Daniels, and his infielders himself, Knight, Hartzell, and Johnson. Hemphill would not be a regular now if it were not for the fact that Harry Walter has failed to entirely recover from his attack of tonsillitis. This is the way the Hilltoppers will be aligned April 12th. Hemphill right field, Daniels center field, Chase first base, three left field, Knight second base, Johnson third base, Hartzell shortstop, Sweeney catcher, Warhop pitcher. Tigers lineup is still in doubt. Well, 
The opening of the season, but a few days off. It has not yet been decided who will play first base for the Tigers. It will be either Luther's, Gaynor, or Ness, but which one no one seems to know. Whether the Tigers will be able to regain their lost laurels and finish at the head of the procession again next fall depends on many things. Jennings seems to have stamped out the friction which handicapped this team last season, and his pitchers, too, are working well, but there is no telling how the team will show up when the real battles begin. Everything seems to depend on what the pitchers do. Last season, the Tigers scored more runs than any other team in the league, but were beaten, which is taken to indicate that the pitching was weak. Jennings has the same strong offensive team this year, and if the pitchers hold up their end, there may be another pennant flying at Bennett Park next fall. The outfield promises to be just as strong as ever, for Cobb, Crawford, and Jones are displaying their usual high class, but there's no doubt that Tom Jones will be missed at first base, for none of the several men who are trying to fill his shoes seem to be up to the standard. Of course, Bill Donovan cannot be figured on to be of any service to the team's pitching staff until the wheel, wheel warm weather, yes, the real warm weather sets in. But the veteran appears to be in better condition this spring than usual. George Mullen in the, is the same as of old, but Summers is sick and will not be able to pitch for some time. Willett and Works have both shown improvement, and there are several young pitchers who appear to be going along nicely. It may help out. The lineup for the opening game will probably be Gainer first base, Delahanty second, Bush shortstop, Moriarty third, Jones left field, Cobb center, Crawford right, uh, Stanage catcher, Mully, Mullen pitcher. Yeah, some of the, some of this ink it, it it's all squibby and bleedy, and it's hard to read. And, uh, but the research must be done. And uh, other little news is here. Uh, signs a Tannenhill. Jesse shows Griffith enough to get job with Reds out of Cincinnati, Ohio. Jesse Tannenhill, <laughs> former Boston and Washington pitcher, will re-enter baseball this year as a member of the Cincinnati National League team. This was announced today. Tannehill has been training with the local players this year, and in a recent game with the Cleveland American League team, came back in an impressive fashion. And news out of New York on the 8th yesterday, uh, technically. Giants double victory, defeat Yale in two games of five innings. The New York Nationals reopened the polo grounds today by twice defeating the Yale team in five inning games of one to nothing and four to nothing. The first team faced the Collegiates in the first contest, while the New Haven men had the Colts as their opponents in the second game. Exciting stuff there. And this didn't stick. It is no longer the Cardinals. The St. Louis fans have labored Roger Brett. Renan's pets, Britons, in honor of their new owner. Sure they did. And this I'm going to summarize because we have gone over a great deal 
of Johnson's stand for exorbitant pay. There's a whole column, two columns, of uh, fans condemning his stand for uh, patrons of game, a sure club of their support, and praise McAleer for sending pitcher home. And uh, let's see, there's a couple of uh, letters here. Sporting editor star. The announcement that McAleer had called Johnson's bluff and given Mr. J his ticket for a summer vacation has caused a big emotion among the fans, as you probably know. I write to say that I made a somewhat extended tour in this city yesterday morning where ball fiends most do congregate, and I am pleased to report that in not one single instance did I hear anyone say anything but commendation of McAleer's sensible and good business stand in the controversy with Johnson. However, the manager need not worry. The twirler will be on hand some payday. It may be that if he comes to his senses and signs, he may shirk when working. But there is a wholesome remedy for such cheating. And if the manager is the man we all believe him to be, Johnson will receive some stiff jolts on payday, which will make him repent of his sin and do his whole duty in earning his pay. Uh, let's see. And that's signed Old Timer. And let's do another one here. Mr. T.C. Noyd, my hearty congratulations upon your decision not to be held up by Walter Johnson. McAleer has done the wise thing in this matter, and the club will be backed up by all sensible baseball lovers. To have given in to him would have been ruinous to the association as well as your club, Will Mooney. And uh, let's take a look at this. We haven't looked at the Cardinals at all this year. Uh, easy for Cardinals. Rap Barney, Pelty Hard, and Defeat Browns Handily is sixth straight win a little preseason fun um hamilton finishes the game in good style sally hitches nicely for the cards special dispatch to the star bing and the stuff was off right at the very start of today's game at league part the cardinals gaining their sixth straight victory over the browns score seven to one the direct cause of the American Leaguer's downfall was the inability of pitcher Barney Pelty to keep the ball from an easy striking distance of the Cardinal Sluggers. No matter what Pelty served up in the direction of fooling his opponents, they invariably made good by slapping out some rip-roaring hits for Barney. Southpaw Pitcher Sally worked for the Cardinals so good that the Browns were lucky to score their solitary run, which was pushed over in the opening round by Truesdale on a walk, two infield outs, and a single by Murray, star batsman. Sally also punched out two hits, one a home run. The game was clinched in the first two and one-third innings that Pelty pitched. After that, Hamilton, the Joplin recruit, twirled remarkably 
good ball for the Browns, and had it not been for an error by manager Wallace on Hauser, he would have blanked the Cardinals. Opening the Cardinals' first inning, Huggins walked, MacGyver grounded out, Mowry doubled, Huggins scoring, Panetchi tripled to left, scoring Mowry. Starting the Cardinals' second, Oaks walked, and later was picked off first. Hauser went all the way to second when Wallace made a bad throw to first. Sally bumped Pelty's straight shoot into the right field bleachers for a homer, scoring Hauser. Huggins singled to right and went to second on a passed ball. In the Cardinals' third, Conachi singled to left. Evans hit to center. Conachi taking third. O'Donnell sacrificed to Williams, scoring Conachi. Oaks singled to right. At this point, Wallace benched Pelty. Hamilton going to the mound. Hauser was safe on Wallace's error. Sally singled to right. Hauser taking third. Hauser scored on a wild pitch. The teams meet again tomorrow at the American League Park for the final game of the series. The weather was warm and bright, but attendance only 4,000 owing to the one-sidedness of the games. And yes, Sally, a good-hitting pitcher. Quinn in form allows the Barons but one hit, and Yankees score a shutout. And over in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, pitcher Quinn of the New York Americans had the Wilkes-Barre team of the New York State Baseball League completely at his mercy today, allowing, that's yesterday, the 8th, allowing the home club only one hit. The final score was 5 to nothing. The Americans scored all their runs in the first two innings, batting McCloskey hard. Yeah, they scored one run in the first inning and four in the second. And uh, Wilkes-Barre uh, scored nothing. There's so much more here. Um, let's see what we got going on here. It, 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 have you, this project is a, a larger um, thing than I initially anticipated. But that's almost a good thing. I mean, in my head, I'm thinking, oh, 15, 20 minutes a day, we'll do the baseball news, we'll look at night. This is big, and yes, there's going to be some repetition and length, And uh, but if you're going to do it, do it, right? I mean, yes, uh, cutting out absolute repetition might be a good idea, but should be watched, but... Um, Relax. I mean, I think I'm in a hurry to get to the end already, which is insane. That we're not even the season hasn't started. Let's really relish this, and uh, some of these episodes could be very long. That's basically the conclusion of that, and uh, we move on. Vickers got awakening from Chicago White Sox. Chestius of Max Pitchers had idea former champions were four flushers before the game. Then woke up. Rube Vickers lasted for quite a while in the fast company, even if he did not get into such a large parade of games. Somehow or other, Connie Mack thought for a long, long time that Mr. Vickers had the goods and needed only a little polishing to bring them out. Connie 
polished and polished and kept polishing for about three seasons. But strange to say, Mr. Vickers failed to come through with the real stuff, and the elongated Mr. Mac finally shipped him back to the miners, where he will presumably stay till his diamond career is over. During Mr. Vickers' sojourn with the athletics, he showed frequent flashes of class, and when going well, had considerable power behind his curves. Whenever the rube found himself swinging along at a nice gait, he became chuck full of ambition, self-confidence, and chestiness. Connie never rebuked him, called him down, or made him feel cheap in any manner. He let the natural course of events and the opposition batsmen tend to that pen. It was always tended to. Mr. Vickers was chesty. Along in the spring of 1907, Mr. Vickers was going great guns and felt as good as though he were Brown and Mathewson conjoined. On the first western trip of the athletics, he showed all sorts of speed and shoots. All the hostiles fell before him, and when he reached Chicago, he was the chestiest young man in North America. When the athletics went out to Comiskey's Park for their opening game, Mr. Vickers sought out his manager. Let me pitch this game, quoth he. You say these fellows are the champions of the world? Why, I can't see why they can't bat. Their team average is about 197. They are simply four flushes and soft marks. Let me go in there, and I'll shut them out without a hit. Mr. Mack sighed softly. You say, Rube, he remarked, that you don't understand why the White Sox are champions. Exactly, answered Mr. Victor, M Vickers. I can't see by what right or license they are champions, and I want to show them up. To it, son. Mr. Max sighed again. I'm glad you think that way, Rube, said he. Go to it, son. You have your wish. Go in and pitch. Mr. Vickers got along elegantly for four innings. Not a hit was made off him. He didn't give a base on balls, and he struck out seven men. The first batter to face him in the fifth stuck out a knee, and Rube glanced an in-curve off it, the batsman hopping down to first. The second man bunted, and when Mr. Vickers went after the bunt, he fell down the runner, eagerly reaching base. Then the third man bunted, and again Vickers was unable to reach the ball in time. With the bases full, the next men, man put a short single and right scoring one man. Mr. Vickers, somewhat agitated, sent in a fastball. It was hit right back at him and he juggled it, finally throwing wild and letting in two runs while there were runners perched at first and third. And a double steal. Then the White Sox pulled a double steal. The man on third coming home. The distressed Mr. Vickers handed out two successive bases on balls and had a wild pitch. Six ones on him. Without anyone being put out and with only one clean hit. At this juncture, Connie Mack took the ball away from Mr. Vickers, handed it to another Earler, and told Mr. Vickers he could go and dress. That was all. Nor did Mac, Mr. Mac say another word until they were all in the bus on the way back to the hotel. Then, with never a grin, nor a trace of sarcasm, Connie remarked, 
Now, Rube, you see why the White Sox are the champions. Mr. Vickers saw. Your baseball briefs. The Boston Americans will have a lot of new faces in their array. John L. Taylor announces the retention of seven or eight recruits, which means a chilly drop in the percentage column. The passing of Harry Steinfeld to a minor league leaves the Chicago Nationals' third base open for competition between Heine, Zimmerman, and Doyle. They're running toe-to-toe in the race for the position, although Zimmerman probably outclasses Doyle with the bat. Hans Wagner, Pittsburgh's great shortstop, had a dozen bunions, some barnacles, and several other useless things removed from his feet the other day at Hot Springs. Wagner declares that he had about everything on his feet that he did not need, but no grass ever grew under them. Now, Hans predicts a pennant for the Pirates inasmuch as he will come back with his speed. Norfolk folk were grieved because it was announced that Matthewson had a sore finger and would not pitch an exhibition game there for the Giants earlier in the week. That wasn't the only grievance, for it rained on the same day. Matthewson pitched his first league games for the Norfolk several years ago, but did not attain greatness until he developed as a giant. Umpire Jack Sheridan has some strange celebrities beaten at the retirement game. After quitting baseball several times, Jack has turned up again as one of the American League notable arbitrators. Then fandom again welcome his return. Ban Johnson's latest acquisition to his umpire staff is Mullen, who officiated in the Western Association last season and earned the right to be promoted to the major league. Manager Connie Mack of the Athletics often has his quiet little smile and often makes a funny crack that has Celtic philosophy embodied in the witticism. According to a story that emanated from manager Charlie Dewan of the Phillies, the Red Top director stated that he would use the Yannigans in the interleague series with the world's champions. Connie saw the statement, smiled, and said in his sententious speech, While I wonder if they don't all look like the Yannigans when they tackle us. And I think that's well, uh, while, just a typo or bad type. Billy Murray has joined the army of baseball men who say the new sacrifice rule is a bad one. Hans Wagner says they tried to favor the batsman and keep him from getting a time at bat. Why don't they give him a hit in a case like this? But like this, a man is on first and the batsman hits a long fly. The fielder tries for it and the runner hugs first, afraid it will be caught. The ball falls safely, and the runner is forced at second. The fielder never has his hand on the ball. The batter does not get a hit, but is charged with a time at bat. They had better let the rules alone, for there are too many things coming up in a game after to monkey with new systems. They'd better let the rules alone, for there are too many things coming up in game after game to monkey with new systems. Personally, I don't care a rap, but it's going to be bad for many young players. And uh, a couple of uh, letters from inquisitive fans to the sporting editor of The Star. Please state in the Sunday pink sheet 
Which pitcher holds the world strikeout record for a season? Yours truly, ASB. This matter is in dispute, the record being claimed for both Johnson and Waddell. If you will write D.B. Johnson Fisher Building Chicago, he should be able to give you the desired information as he has the records. Aha, uh-huh, this so that records and world records are still like in their infancy, so to speak. Uh, to the sporting editor of the Star, kindly print the number of boxes that were in the old grandstand at National Park last year. A fan? The answer is 66. To the sporting editor of the Star, please answer next Sunday's Star 1. Which is the best pitcher in the American League? 2. Which is the best in the National? 3. Which is the best batter? in either, and four, which is the best pitcher out of the two? A fan. One, Bender had the best record last season. Two, Matthewson led the national last season. Three, Cobb led American, McGee, the national. Four, this column is not for the expression of opinions. That'll teach them now, won't it? And more on Hans Wagner, although hopefully not on his bunions. Oh, God, that little bit of baseball trivia, that the, the baseball research, yes, the things we find. Hans Wagner, master of art of play-sitting, Pirates' famous batsman, amazes youngsters by his skill in hitting ball into any field. And this, again, a dispatch out of Hot Springs, Arkansas. Hans Wagner had a corner of Whittington Park to himself yesterday morning while he placed hits off three speedy Pirate pitchers. Honus has adopted the method of Fred Clark in coaching the young moundsman. He tells where he wants to place the ball and gives the pitcher a chance to defeat his purpose. For about 20 minutes, the great shortstop kept placing the ball at well. He alternated high flies, bed, bounding grounders, rollers, hits into right field, left field, over third, or first, and in front of the plate. He kept calling him, and it is a fact that not once did the mighty Teuton miss his purpose, excepting, of course, an occasional foul. What's the use of pitching inside or outside, groaned one pitcher. He pulls for a hit into right field. I put it close to his knuckles, yet to right field the ball goes. One infield bounce now, Honus finally called. Good enough bound to put over the head of the shortstop. Walter Nagel put in a low fast ball on the inside. Honus swung. The ball hit the diamond midway between home plate and the shortstop position and took a terrific bound and traveling in an impossible height and direction over the short field. Claude Hendricks tried another, but Honus continued to show that a batsman can be just as much of a master at mixing his hits as a twirler can exercise change of pace. Another rookie less experienced than either Nagel or Hendricks also had his fling, but the ball went where Honus said it would go. A St. Louis man stood by Wagner's side during this little batting bee. He confessed that he never dreamed that any person had mastered the art of hitting to such an extent. It did not take the Missourian long to be shown, however. High or low, in or out, curveballs, fast and slow ones, 
made no difference to Honus. If he said high fly, he suited the action to the word perfectly. It recalled the fact that Wagner often is criticized by fans by trying to comb out high fastballs when he had two, one or two strikes. The great Teuton often fans in such attempts during a championship season, but critics in the disappointing moments little stopped to think how many of these shoulder-high flings far on the outside corner he manages to straighten out and hit to either field as conditions may warrant. Wagner is not a groove hitter. His measure of success is largely with the end of his heavy bat, but he can sting the kind that cut the plate or any old kind too. And that seems to have uh, fulfilled our uh, Sunday star out of Washington, D.C. And again, um, if, if you've got comments about the longer episode. I mean, somewhere in my head, I really thought, oh, a few minutes a day, and this will be a neat little. This is a real thing. With this is going to be work. Oh, but uh, again, comments, what have you? Please send them to kpqr.torc at gmail dot com, and um, hopefully, uh, we're all having a good time. Uh, this is fascinating and i'm getting drawn in more and more as we go uh so let, let's keep going and uh till we catch up with each other again uh do set the controls for the heart of the fun